This morning, I, I would like to try to inspire, um, not my words, but scripture. I love the opportunity uh, that church gives me to speak to high school students, to adults. Uh, my main goal in this is not to sit around and be like, oh, let's do a Bible study and learn a little bit more about Jesus and walk away and have nothing to do with it again. My hope and desire is that somewhere in scripture that we talk about today, you look at it and say, oh, okay, that can apply to me. I could do something with that. Um, so we're going to be looking at one of my favorite characters in scripture. And there are characters aplenty. There are men and women with big stories, big problems. And this is, this is one of those guys that both has big stories, big problems, and big faith. John the Baptist is one of my favorite characters. Matter of fact, um, I look at this guy and I say, I, I, I kind of feel his pain. He's kind of a goofy outsider. Um, he, he was faithful, but at the same time still doubted Jesus. So we're going to try to take a look at his life and try to figure out how is he uniquely made to serve in God's kingdom and how through scripture uh, we can say, okay, so maybe we are as well. He's not just a great character in scripture, but you and I, uniquely made by Jesus Christ, can fit into the family of God and do great things that bring Jesus Christ glory. I think of a couple of people in my life, um, and I think of a story of Amanda. Amanda, uh, Stacy and I met Amanda years and years and years ago when we lived in Kentucky. And Amanda is, when you would look at her, she is a very petite, tiny, small, shrunk-sized human being. She's just one of those itty-bitty little people you want to pick up and put in your pocket and move on, right? She is, she is quiet. She's reserved. Um, she's a coal miner's wife with five boys. I have four girls, and I think I'm about ready to go insane. We'll scrimmage one day. It'd be fun to get you know, their kids and our kids. We'll, we'll play dodgeball or something, right? Um, but she is just one of those people that you would look at and see, wow, she figured out her passion and her giftedness, and she is doing amazing things in the kingdom. Like I said, when we first met her, she was very quiet, very reserved, uh, but she was a part of our church in Kentucky's um, MOPS program, Mothers Against, no. Mothers of preschool students. Mothers against preschool students. That's a completely different thing. We don't do that at church. Um, and she was passionate about little kids. She loved little kids. When you saw Amanda, she was, most of the time, she was on her knees playing with little kids. And that was my first interpretation. My first impression of her was she was picking up and loving little kids that were crying because mom dropped them off and they were a little nervous, which is totally okay, right? So I immediately thought, man, this woman is amazing. Um, and the longer we got to know her, the more Stacy and her worked uh, together in mops, we saw something really bud in her that turned into a great, amazing leader of women. Again, quiet, reserved, um, wanted to be behind the scenes. These are not negative things at all. These are very positive things. Um, but she kind of didn't feel like she was hitting her niche in the kingdom of God. She's like, how can I, dot, 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 be more effective, efficient, and love people for Jesus more? And slowly but surely, her friends around her started asking hard questions. Like, what, what do you want to do? What do you feel like God has equipped you to do? What, where do you see yourself in this, in this, this dysfunctional yet loving family of, of, you know, of church? And she's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Well, I, I like telling people what to do <laughs> in a quiet voice. And I'm like... Oh, that's funny. My wife tells me that. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. You do that to me. Anyway, and so slowly but surely, she transforms, and she doesn't change her personality. She doesn't change the fact that she's more of a wallflower, but she blossoms as a leader of women 
trying to help them grow and mature in Jesus Christ and help them affect their community. As somebody who is quiet and sweet and, and just very reserved, there's nothing wrong with that. I've seen her blossom into an amazing leader without changing her personality, but yet understanding how she was created and built for the kingdom of God. And I love that. I've looked at my life multiple times and said, how does John Muffler fit into the grand scheme of the kingdom? I'm just John. How do I, what cog can I fill? What small piece of the church can I do? Can I, can I be an encourager? Okay, well, I'll buy pom-poms and a skirt, but maybe that won't keep a job in youth ministry. Or maybe I can I can, I can speak sometimes. No, nobody boos or throws hymnals at me anymore. So there's that. That's cool. Um, so I've always kind of wondered, how do I fit in? Have you ever thought about that? Do you come to church on a Sunday morning and you worship and we have this great opportunity to be with other Christians? We lift up the name of Jesus Christ through worship, through communion, uh, through gathering together as, as, as saints, right? Do you know where you fit in? Do you have a strong sense of where your compass is pointing to where you can invest and other people for Jesus Christ? Because we were not created to show up. We were created to be a part of an active family. And I don't know about you, but my family is super dysfunctional. I mean, I got weird people all through it. Do you guys, uh, TBS's um, tagline is characters welcome? Mufflers right there. We're all very strange people, but we get along with each other most times and it's fun, right? So where do we fit in in this family of God? So we're going to talk today about um, John the Baptist, again, how he was kind of strange, a little outside of his community and society, but at the same time, he knew his giftedness and ran with it. John the Baptist, in my opinion, is one of the, if not the last, Old Testament prophets. Because, listen, I know the New Testament starts with Matthew and, and Mark, Luke, John, and all that kind of stuff, and so technically he's in the New Testament. But to be honest, the New Testament era doesn't really begin until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, in my opinion, lived in the Old Testament. It was kind of phenomenal. So John the Baptist is one of the last prophets that we hear um, in the Old Testament. From Malachi to the birth of Christ, we see about 400 years of God's silence with his people. Can you imagine that? God's chosen people are scattered and under the rule of nations the entire time. Persians, Greeks led by Alexander the Great, and finally the Romans come to the promised land in force. They are no longer their own people. They are set up to be ruled by someone else. There's a puppet government that someone else rules them, and they are no longer just themselves. They are basically in chains. Um, God called John the Baptist to ministry and built him for an incredible job. He gave John the tools to be successful in announcing the world that the Messiah has come. The very salvation plan of God through Jesus Christ, John the Baptist had the opportunity to say, check that out. You've seen trailers for movies that give like a minute and a half, maybe two minute sneak peek to try to get you uh, excited. It's called a teaser trailer. I love that John the Baptist was basically getting ready for the people of that time and saying, hey, listen, something great is coming. You are going to love this. I love that they had that job. Um, let's take a look at scripture. We got Matthew 3, 1 through 6. And I know sometimes, uh, the vast majority of times we talk about John the Baptist is normally Christmas, but I think he's too cool of a character just to keep it Christmas, so when it's 95 degrees outside. But let's read about John the Baptist. Matthew 3, 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one who's spoken through the prophet Isaiah. 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes was made out of camel's hair, had a leather belt around his waist, his food was locusts and wild honey. People went out from him, uh, from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptizing him in the Jordan River. This is a picture of somebody that we would look like, would look in our society and say, wow, that's strange. Matter of fact, if John the Baptist were here today in our society, kind of in today's terms, and he sat down next to you, you would probably have like the church smile, like, hi. <laughs> Which is, I mean, listen, we're all human beings. We've got to deal with some of our stuff. If we're driving down the road and we see him on the side of the road, like waving at us, we'd be like, roll that window up and keep driving. Our kids in the back seat would say, hey, dad, hey, dad, who's that guy? And we'd be like, right? He's one of those guys on the outside. He's a fringe kind of it's weird. Is weird a bad word? Weird's fine. I'm weird, right? He's just a weird dude. But we look at his story and we think, wow, this is incredible. He's the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, both from the line of priests that served in the temple. Parents were very, I don't want to say the word very old, let's say youth impaired. Um, and they cried out to, no, one guy. Thank you. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. Uh, they were very old and cried out to God for a child. This is a painful story. Because some of us have been in this situation, and I don't want to make light of it, and I don't want to make jokes about it, but they were in their upper years, and they were begging God for a child. And I know some of us, I know some of you guys have been in that situation, it's heartbreaking. And God looks at them and says, I will give you a son. He's going to be strange, but man, he's got a great job. He's going to usher in the salvation plan through Jesus Christ. So, parents were older when he was born. Um, we find John the Baptist living in the desert now, away from society. Something has happened. We don't have a lot of great information from John, his birth, through when we see him three decades-ish later. Something has happened. I'm assuming his parents, since they were older, are now gone. Probably gone at a younger age. Because normally when your parents look at you and you live in the desert, they're like, really? Can you, can you do something about that? He kind of went down a path that we would look at and say, well, that's very interesting. It's very strange. Matter of fact, he, he took a pledge of separation and self-imposed abstinence from drinking wine, shaving, or hanging out with dead bodies. Okay? This is the guy. He's probably single. I can understand that. It's reasonable. Um, but he said, my faith is so important, I'm going to stand firm on chasing God and obedience. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give these things up. I'm not going to be around these things so I can focus on faith. A fanatic follower of God that is into self-denial and avoiding the world's comforts and pleasures. Again, we look at this guy and we think, there's a story to that. He's a character. Um, now, I, <laughs> I was talking to somebody in the middle of uh, the... <laughs> the uh, uh, what, are the, what are these called? You sit down at church? Services. Thank you. Good thing I'm a public speaker. Anyway, and so I'm like, oh man, I love shape. It's a great book. And he's like, yeah, John talked about that last week. <laughs> Here we go. Leftovers. So anyway, what I would love to do, because I love this book. I love this curriculum. It has an opportunity to help a, a life group, a family, um, maybe just two friends over coffee, having a great conversation of trying to figure out where God created you to be specifically unique to the kingdom of God. We're not snowflakes in here. 
Okay, you are not unique to the point where there's nobody else like you. But God has created you to do a specific thing. And if we miss that, if we miss that, if we miss that calling, we are not only kind of living a life that's unfulfilled, we are living a life that's hurting other people. Because when God creates in us something great, he does it so that we can share that with the body of Christ, so that we can help minister and love people for Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a look through shape and John's story about how he was created and how maybe we can find some tools to figure out who we are and how we can be a part of God's family in a specific area. All right, so one of the greatest pieces of scripture I love I take with everywhere is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this. This piece of scripture tells me this. You are not an accident. At the beginning of time, God knew your name and knew exactly how he wanted to create you to affect other people, to influence other people. He wasn't one day doing whatever he does in heaven, and all of a sudden you're born, and he's like, oh, there's a Bob. What should I do with that guy? He's not shocked by this. You are not an accident. You are not this cosmic coincidence of occurrences. God says in this piece of scripture that you are wonderfully made. There is a plan for you to bring glory to Jesus Christ. This helps me with purpose in my everyday life. So here we go. Spiritual gifts is our first, S-H-A-P-E. First one is spiritual gifts. We have been gifted greatness. Without an exception, we are built to be effective in the kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, if you ever ever have a bad day and you look in the mirror and think, man, who is this guy? Who is this person looking at me? How, who am I? Remember this, that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives and dwells in you. The same spirit that has changed this world in faith lives in you. That alone should get us up and dancing. That alone, we should look in the mirror and say, well, that guy's not great looking, but man, the Holy Spirit, I got that. That's great. We should be excited to understand a piece of God is in us. A spiritual gift is a God-given special ability to share his love and strength with the church. The New Testament has six different passages that list out some of these spiritual gifts. Here are some. This is not all of them. This is not a comprehensive list. Uh, Administration, discernment, encouragement, Faith, evangelism, giving, leadership, teaching, wisdom, mercy, pastoring. These are all things that through the Holy Spirit, God is indwelling in you some, a few, all, I don't know, good for you, right? To help support the body of Christ. None of these gifts are for you. Did you notice that? None of these help you. All these gifts that God has given you go to help someone else. And I love that. If we're all working together, we're all being loved We're all being ministered to, and we're all being lifted up. The two best ways in discovering what gifts you might have um, are these. You can can go online, and you can take one of those tests. They're pretty cheap or pretty free. Um, But I would challenge you to take one step further and sit down with a spouse or a best friend, because basically, that online test isn't going to give you any negative. It's going to give you like the, oh, you're a great giver. That's wonderful. When you sit down with your spouse, and be like, you got no mercy. You're horrible. Don't even think about giving. You've never wanted to give. So you can see some of the positives and negatives of that. But so the positives and negative with that. If I sit down with Stacy and we have this conversation, she can look at me and say, man, John, you are amazing at these two or three things. 
Obviously, you're bankrupt at this, 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 this. That way I know what I have and what I don't have. I can go the opposite direction with her, but she's my wife, so I can't do that, right? Um, neither one of us actually have mercy, which is hilarious. It, raising four girls without mercy is, we're screwing them up. Anyway, so it's good, it's good, right? So uh, take a test online or ask a spouse or a close friend. John the Baptist had the spiritual gift of prophecy, the ability to serve and strengthen the body of Christ by offering messages from God that comfort, encourage, guide, warn, reveal sin in a way that leads to repentance and spiritual growth. His ability, his spiritual gift, was to call out what was wrong in your life. You ever had a friend like that? You ever have somebody that's like kind of a Debbie Downer? You walk in the room, and they're like, hey, Bob, how are you doing? Bob's like, I see that you sped here. I mean, like, you slammed on the brakes, and everybody's kind of freaking out. Like, have you ever had somebody that would call you out on your stuff? Great person to have at arm's length. <laughs> you want to hang out with that person because you want to understand who you are, but at the same time, it hurts. So in his ministry, he was speaking hard truth and confronting people, and they still came to him from cities and areas. What about you? Can I identify a gift that would point to others the love of Jesus Christ or help build up the community of believers? So that's H. Or no, that's S. H is heart. Our heartbeat for God should lead us to a crazy directions in the kingdom. Our passion, our heartbeat drives us. Questions like, who do I care for? What needs can I meet? What causes do I want to conquer or be a champion of? Here are a few things that I feel like we can be champions of with our passion. Divorce, abortion, foster care at-risk children, environment, the sex trade industry, poverty, the justice system, spiritual apathy, financial stewardship. Maybe your ears perked up and said, you know what? Yeah, that's something that I can't stand in this world, and I want to help this world eradicate it. Divorce. Maybe you're even somebody that's divorced and said, you know what? Divorce is this, like, the worst thing ever. It just ripped my family to shreds. So I want to help other people try to build the best thing they can do in their relationship and love. Or maybe it's abortion. Maybe you say, you know what? This is out of control that we live in the land of the free and home of the brave, but this still goes on. Maybe it's time for you to champion and say, you know what? This ends here. I've got to do something about it. Our passions drive us. When we wake up in the morning, we say, man, I can't wait to... That's your heartbeat. It could be your job. It might not be your job. It could be a relationship. It might not be. It could be championing something that nobody else in your circle think is a good idea, but you still got to get it done because God has placed that in you to get you revved up and moving. Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you are receiving an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. John the Baptist has a heartbeat for those around him to follow God. His passion led him to challenging others to repent, no matter what the consequences. Repent and repair, because Jesus is coming. Abilities is the A in S-H-A-P-E. Um, we have strengths and abilities that are to show off God's greatness and magnitude. These activities just might become second nature to you. Some of us think we're not really good enough in this world. We say, well, I, I can't do much with my hands. That's fine. Who cares? Good for you. Maybe some of you are saying, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a great teacher. That's okay. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. There are things in your life that will hold you back from doing great things, and one of them is our own 
enemy inside our, vo- inside our head, the voice, the, the enemy basically saying, you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you don't have enough education, you don't have enough experience. What I'm trying to share with you guys is what Scripture says. Scripture says you are uniquely made to do something phenomenal for Jesus Christ. Don't allow that voice of the enemy to say you are not worthy. You are not good enough. Here are some common abilities and see if anything resonates with you. Writing, learning, cooking, building, promoting, recruiting, serving, coaching, designing, managing, mentoring, researching, or performing. John the Baptist grew uh, drew crowds and grew uh, the people that were following him, uh, not because he was a snazzy dresser, not because he was super cool, but basically because he had a message that was from God and it impacted lives. He was a great communicator of what truth is. Now, Michelangelo, the artist and engineer, not the Ninja Turtle, once said, the great danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it, but that it is too low and we reach it. It is dangerous for the church, the body of Christ, to take whatever God has given us when it comes to abilities and say, I'm not good enough, so I'm just kind of going to sit on it. It is dangerous for us to not show off God's greatness with whatever he's created us to do. Be very careful not to be held back by thinking, I'm not good enough, but just use what you have and chase after the faith of Jesus Christ. So personality is the P. Let me say this loudly. I hope you hear this. There is no right or wrong personality. I'm going to say it again. There's no right or wrong personality. A lot of us, including myself for many years, I thought, well, of course the best personality is the goofy, loud, obnoxious, irritating, fun guy, right? Right? That's obviously the best personality. Everybody agree? Good. Excellent. Let's pray. No. But to be very honest, I lived that way for years and decades of my life. You know why? I'm that guy. I'm the annoying guy that stands up and says stupid things to make you giggle and think about Jesus. That's probably not you. There is no right or wrong. If you're a wallflower, if you're quiet, if you're reserved, if you are self-controlled, these are all things. (laughs) These are all things. There's no right or wrong. But sometimes as human beings, we struggle in looking at somebody else that has a different personality and saying, that's okay. Years and years in ministry, and youth ministry, I didn't understand why quiet students would never open up to me because I was too busy making them feel very uncomfortable because I'm loud and goofy. I had to learn to find adult leaders who are (laughs) better at that than I, and then I could be the goofy, excited one with these other students. I've had to learn that through my life. So there's no right or wrong personality. Now, there are different authors that have come up with ways to categorize personality types. types. Lions, beavers, otters, golden retrievers, popular, powerful, perfect, respectful, peaceful, sevens, threes, fours. Anybody Enneagram right now into that? I'm a seven. Sorry. What can you do? Um, But really, it comes down to these two things. In the kingdom of God, how do you relate to others and how you respond to opportunities? Because at the end of the day, God's kingdom is about people, his children. How do we interact with them? It doesn't matter, again, what your personality type is. How do we interact in a loving, respectful way with other people? It doesn't matter if you're outgoing, reserved, self-expressive or self-controlled, cooperative or competitive. I'm still not allowed to play Monopoly in my own home. My (laughs) wife will not play. She says, I'm not cooperative. People are the important factor in the kingdom, not the building, not the buses, 
not the finances, it's the people. And the second one is how do you respond to opportunities? High risk, low risk, people or projects, leader follow. It doesn't matter what you are, how you fall into this, as long as you are expressing what God has created you to be and being a part of that. And, that's, and the last one is experiences. There is purpose in our past. God desires to take all of our past experiences, both good and bad, and use them for his glory. And this is hard because your past is probably very painful. The vast majority of human beings have lived through or living through something that has wrecked us. And it is difficult for us to say, how in the world is God going to use that pain where somebody has hurt me, or maybe I've hurt somebody, for his glory? And we see it in a piece of scripture that I feel like is often uh, misquoted, so I'm going to try to misquote it myself because I want to fit in with everybody else. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The perspective here is very difficult when we look at the word good. I've learned as a parent, if I give, all my, uh, give my kids all the things that they think are good, they would be dead. They would just be dead. They'd be goners. They're like, hey, I'm two and I want to jump off this couch. No, not a wise decision. My kids are absolutely head over heels for candy. It's this new thing. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they absolutely love it. Every chance they can, they'll ask for candy. My seven-year-old, 7.30 yesterday morning on a Saturday, comes to me and says, hey, Dad, can I have some candy? I'm like, baby, what? It is Saturday at 7.30. We haven't even eaten breakfast. She's like, yeah, you know, I like some candy, though. So I've tried to use candy as a positive reinforcement to continue behavior that I feel like is 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 good that we want to continue, right? But unfortunately, this is fall, has fallen into this crazy aspect of, I need candy or I'm going to die. And it's this drama in my house. So if I give my kids everything they think is good, it is not actually good. So as the parent looking at their kids and say, that's not good for you, they would disagree with me, correct? They would look at me and say, no, 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 no. That is good. I would say, perspective is difficult, when we read that piece of scripture. Because some Christians look at that and say, oh, my dad's going to give me everything I want. No. Our dad's going to give us things that are kind of going to be painful sometimes because it's good for us long term. Broccoli is not good. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. The perspective is different. Let us not be held back from helping others because of our past but use the healing that has come through Jesus Christ to help others with similar wounds. If it's divorce, if it's wrecked relationships, if it's bankruptcy, if it is problems with the law, whatever it is, whatever your past is looking at you and saying you're not good enough, stop it. You are uniquely loved by God, not because of your past, but because through Jesus Christ, you are forgiven because you're family. You are not the sum of your failures. You have identity in Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was inspired by the story of his parents. He most likely lost them at a very young age and could have been very bitter about it. But where do we find him? He stood on the promises that was made by God and he served others in this amazing salvation plan of Jesus Christ. So here's my challenge as we kind of wrap things up. As we look at John the Baptist, as we look at shape and we kind of throw it all together is this. 
I would hope and I would pray that you and I would find a way to recognize how we are uniquely made for the kingdom. That we are not an accident. We are not just here uh, because of some silly circumstance. But we are here specifically to be a part of this family to help other people out understanding Jesus Christ. The the grace and mercy that was given to us, we now have the opportunity to give to others. Whatever gifts, whatever abilities, whatever our past and how destroyed it looks, we can use that to glorify God. We can use that to bring a great name to Jesus Christ in our community. Don't be held back by something you would look at and say is negative and maybe is embarrassing. Step forward in faith and understand that even John the Baptist as crazy as he was, man, he was at the right place at the right time, not because he was something special, but because he was obedient to God. And that's what God calls us to be, obedient. Find out who we are made in him and do something great. This is the part of the sermon where I end off talking about being beheaded. You would think John the Baptist being obedient would have lived a long and healthy life and had lots of kids and had great money. And that's, 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 that's not the kingdom. He ended up in jail questioning his faith in Jesus Christ, just like I do sometimes. Not the jail part, but the faith in Jesus Christ. But to be very honest, his story ended in such a way that we would look at and say, well, that's not very Disney-like, is it? Where everybody lives happily ever after. But when we live God's calling, we are going to be in dangerous, crazy places. We are going to find ourselves in situations that are not safe. So I would encourage you, if you find yourself in a situation that is a little too safe, ask the question, man, am I in the right place at the right time to do great things in the kingdom for Jesus Christ?